What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Rethinking Christianity. On today's episode, I have Mark Scandrett join me as we talk about his new book, The Ninefold Path of Jesus, Hidden Wisdom of the Beatitudes. Mark has come on previously on Rethinking Christianity, and we had an awesome conversation before on his book, Practicing the Way of Jesus. And if you're looking for any resources that uh, could help your faith, help you kind of deepen your faith in reconstructing what it means to follow Jesus or any questions that you may be going through or walking through and what it means to follow Jesus, Mark is a great resource for that. And so this episode was really cool. It was good to talk about this book. He really answers the question of like, what does it mean to follow Jesus every day? And what does it mean to follow Jesus on the basis of the Beatitudes and what Jesus presents in those. And so I'm super excited for you get to hear this episode. So let's get into it. And here is the interview with Mark Scandrett. So Mark, you have a new book out, uh, coming out July 13th, uh, The Ninefold Path of Jesus. Um, the Hidden Wisdom of the Beatitudes. And this book is uh, really interesting to me. I've gotten to read through it some, and, and I'm going to finish it. Uh, and it's it's been really challenging for me to look at the Beatitudes in a new way, uh, in a way that I don't think often gets presented to people within Christianity um, or to people that are not Christians, because I think that this is applicable um, for anyone. Uh, and so thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, and I'm excited to talk about talk about this book with you. Yeah, great to be with you, Blake. And congratulations on your recent wedding. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's going good. I enjoy it. It's, it's been great. Um, so in the beginning of the book, um, you tell a story about a conversation that you have with a Zen priest named Shinko. Uh, and you mention that he asked you the question, as a follower of Jesus, when you wake up each day, what do you seek to do and be? Uh, and you kind of mentioned that you you gave an answer, but you felt like you didn't have something that was really clear or specific. Um, so was that the first time that you kind of maybe realized or had the realization that um, there was not like a super clear answer to that question of what what do you do as a follower of Jesus? Yeah, I, I it wasn't the first time. I, I think ever since I uh, gave my life to Christ as a 12 or 13 year old, I kind of been haunted by what I would call like the gap between what we say we believe and how how what 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 I said I believed and what I, how I actually lived, and um, I think it has to do some with maybe what we talked about when we um, when we were talking about my book practicing the way of Jesus that um, I think the thrust of Western Christianity has primarily been believing the right things about the Bible and about God and about Jesus as being the whole of what it means to be a, uh, a Christian. And um, that's so much less than what Jesus message of the good news was, you know, he's like, time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your whole life and believe this message. There's a new way to be human. God is remaking all things and we can join in that. And so I've been trying to catch up with what I think was the original message of Jesus most of my life. How do I live in the revolution of the kingdom of God? But Shinko's question to me kind of put a finer point on it. Um, he contacted me after one of my first books came out and said, I'm a Zen Buddhist priest. And um, 
I live on a monastery, but I saw your book in a bookstore and I thought you might be a Christian. I could talk about something going on in my life. And he said, he said, um, I had a Jesus experience as a teenager, but a lot of what I experienced in church at the time didn't really connect with me. And it didn't seem to help me become a better person who loves better. So I ended up on more of an Eastern spiritual search and ended up landing on Zen Buddhism. But he said, when I, when I sit Zazen, sit in meditation, sometimes I still hear Jesus calling to me and, and I don't know what to do about that. So could we talk about that? So I immediately invited to him to a meal at my house and we became fast friends. And um, as someone who I, I turned to him one day on a walk and I said, Rick or uh, Shinko, I'm not, that familiar with people with, uh, with belief systems outside my own. So maybe you can help me understand, um, as someone who identifies as Buddhist, when you wake up in the morning, what do you seek to do and be? And in about four minutes, he could tell me very clearly, he said, well, here's the four noble truths on which this path is based. And then there's this thing called the eightfold path. And every day I wake up and try and deepen my experience of those paths. And I was really caught by how concrete and clear and practical that vision was for his life. So then he turns to me and asks me the question you, you asked me, Blake, is uh, when, as a follower of Jesus, Mark, when, do you, when you wake up in the morning, what do you seek to do and be? And I thought, oh, great. This is a chance for me to share the gospel with him. I'm going to tell him how I became a Christian. And then I realized that's not what he asked. He, 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 and he was like, what, what, what does this mean for you on a daily basis to identify as a follower of Jesus? So I kind of recovered and I said something I felt pretty okay about. I said, well, I wake up every day and I want to love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. I sort of, patted myself on the back, congratulating myself. Good answer, Mark. You know, that, that, that was solid, but I was still haunted by it because Shinko's answer was very clear and practical. And mine was, it was, it's true, but it was very vague. And um, it reminded me of something that one of my mentors, Dallas Willard, used to say, like, Jesus had has a curriculum for Christ-likeness. It's found primarily in the Sermon on the Mount, but in, in the various Gospels, he really took the time to explain, this is, this is how to follow my way. And so much so that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is wise. But in my Christian experience, we hadn't really focused on the teachings of Jesus. What was most important in the tradition I grew up in and the groups I grew up in is that Jesus was born and that he died and that he came back to life and that we believe that he makes new life possible. But we hadn't, I hadn't learned to pay attention to that curriculum for Christ-likeness. And so I thought, I I need to get better. I, I need to get better at first understanding and then articulating what is the Jesus way. Mm. And um, so with this book, I'm really using the Beatitudes as a as language for describing 
the curriculum for Christlikeness, what the, the, the Jesus way in a way that's practical so that I, I know, I know what to lean into when I wake up each day. That's awesome. Yeah. And that, that's one thing that I really enjoy about the book is how the practicality of it is that you can approach each chat because it's a lot to take in. Um, and we'll get into why that is a lot mm-hmm. to take in as humans. Um, but each chapter, you kind of like you are challenged with this, this one kind of one thing after the next. Uh, and so I, I find it really helpful because it's so practical um, and it can re- definitely really help you engage in conversations with people um, about what what am I doing as a follower of Jesus? And I think that um, conversations and ideas and things like this need to be presented to people um, to create this you know, create what it is to mean to follow Jesus, that it is a compelling thing and it's challenging. Um, so do you feel like that that's kind of like a common thing for a lot of Christians, the experience of, you know, I, I've been told what to believe, but I don't really know what that looks like to live that out. Um, Cause I, for me personally, that that has been an experience where, you know, I, I, I see the sermon on the Mount or see the Beatitudes and I'm like, what do I do with this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think we really, m- many of us really sincerely want to follow the Jesus way, um, and um, but there's that gap of of I think having a clear vision of that. So I I my hope with this book was to um, take a closer look at the Sermon on the Mount through the categories of the of the Beatitudes to be begin to talk about that. And um, I think it's important to note that, well, I'll just say this, though, I think the way spiritual formation's often been done or discipleship's been done in the, in the West, Western world has tended to be individualistic, information driven and disconnected or dishonest about real life. But when Jesus was, was inviting people to be his disciples, it was, you become part of a community. So it's a shared journey. It's not just about information, but about application and taking on his way of life. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount was really brutally honest about the real stuff in our lives. So what I hoped to do with this book is to um, is to be vulnerable myself about where are those places where my way of seeing and doing are different than what Jesus is inviting us into, and then invite the reader to consider that. But the good news is Jesus has a better way for us. We don't have to be stuck in these old patterns or in the book, what I call first instincts. There are paths and practices, new ways of seeing and new ways of living that the gospel invites us into. Yeah, that's great. When I think of, so lately I've actually been doing reading on the kingdom of God and what that means and what that even looks like. such a lofty thing to think about. Um, but when, when you think of kingdom in like the historical sense, I guess you usually think of like a power structure, um, where there are people that are ruling and you see this with the disciples in Mark where they're like, we want to rule next to you. Jesus, yeah. We want to be sitting right next to you. And Jesus says, no, that's not what I've come to do. I've come to serve. Um, Jesus presents the kingdom of God in this very upside down way. Um, do you think that those hearers of this message are maybe confused? How do you, how do you feel like that, that they respond? And we see some of that because obviously it leads to the, the resistance of those power structures in the day that Jesus is living in. Yeah. 
Couple, there, here's a couple interesting takes uh, on the Beatitudes. So Jesus intends to go, goes up on the mountainside and he wants to teach his disciples, but a big crowd ends up gathering. And um, we, uh, Israel was under Roman occupation at the time. So everyone's disturbed. They feel like their rights are being violated. And um, the question is, what do we do about this? So the Sadducees tended to go, we're going to coddle up to the Romans and be installed as puppet governors, um, to cooperate with them, support their agenda. The Pharisees said, God is punishing us for not being obedient to Torah. So we need to double down on our practice of the mitzvahs and then God will kick out the Romans. Uh, and reward us. And the zealots were also in the crowd and they're like, it's not about any of those things. It's, it's time to fight back. Yeah. So just imagine the kind of, it's a, you know, we live in a pretty divided time in our country right now. I think all of those people, all those kinds of people were there on that hillside. And then Jesus has got to find some way of speaking the reality of the kingdom to them. So he starts going through these strange blessings. Makarios is the Greek word, and it means something like, you are godlike. You've got it going on. Um, like, it's such a huge honorific. Um, and it would be, he was speaking in the way that maybe, the kind of way we'd have reverence for like, wow, look at that billionaire mogul or Queen Beyonce, someone who's wealthy, successful, famous. He's giving words like that, Makarios. And, but who does he say is, is blessed in that way? The poor, those who are mourning, the, the meek. And so I like to imagine, and I may be borrowing this from um, reading or hearing D Dallas Willard talk about it, but just imagine Jesus uh, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it, he, sees a, he sees someone who barely has clothes on because they're so poor. And he says, blessed are the poor or the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom. Then he sees this older woman who's a widow and maybe she's wearing, wearing clothes that signify that. And he says, blessed are you, sister, those who mourn, for you'll be comforted. And then he sees this peasant worker and says, and blessed are the meek. You're going to inherit the earth. So everyone in the crowd is going, why is Jesus saying Makarios to these losers? You know, those they are not the blessed. And they, they had, I think, a mentality like many of us do, um, that only the most wealthy fortunate or attractive are blessed and the rest of us are cursed or less than and in the economy of the kingdom of god like you mentioned Blake it's upside down so yeah. no one gets left out no one gets left behind whatever your story whatever your situation you find yourself in god's life can come to you in this moment that sounds like really good news to me yeah and it and that's the thing that like it has to be good news. I mean, that's, he keeps, you know, the kingdom of God, Jesus mentions that more than anything else. He, he talks about repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Mm -hmm. And what, what's so interesting is even what you see in Luke, where at the beginning he goes back home and he's giving this message. And the expectation is that Israel is going to be the ones that are blessed. 
And yeah. even he, he flips even that on its head where it's like, no, you know, just like Elijah and Elisha, I, I'm going to serve the outsider. I'm going to serve the outcast. Uh, and I think it's just this really cool thing that um, it transcends history. It transcends like belief systems. It, it transcends a lot of different things. And I think that that's what's so unique about the kingdom of God and, and what Jesus presents about living that out. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's cool. Um, yeah. In each chapter, you kind of mention um, this idea of first instincts uh, and new postures. Um, could you kind of explain that a little bit too? Yeah, would love to. So um, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. I think that a, a, a synonym for the kingdom of God is reality. So if just try that sometime, read through the gospels and every time Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he says reality. So I, I happen to trust that Jesus saw the world accurately and, and acted with a completely accurate understanding of how life works. So when in the Sermon on the Mount, he's trying to help us live in reality. And so um, we have, we were born and live in a world where in, in structural systems and a psychology that has distorted perceptions of reality. And um, so in the book, I talk about some of those distorted perceptions as first instincts. And so for each beatitude, there's a first instinct and then an invitation back to God's reality, a return to the truth. So here I can go through a couple with you and just show yeah, you. So for, for instance, sure. um, we come into the world with a sense of anxiousness. Uh, like I remember when my daughter was, my first child was born, she was safe and warm in her mom's body. And then she comes out and it's cold, it's noisy, there's bright lights and um, immediately there's this uh, primal scream and she closes her fists and cries. She's, she's, she, she has needs, right? And eventually, and hope, fortunately we were there to hold her, to wrap some blankets around her, to help her feel safe and to calm her down. But I think that same first instinct continues with us through the, through our lives. It's very easy for us to be anxious worried, stressed, filled with a sense of hurry. And um, it is that instinct for anxiety is, I think, God-given because we need to feel some urgency to stay alive. But um, it also becomes toxic where there are times when uh, a lion isn't chasing you, but you still feel anxious, right? And so part of, part of our journey back to God's kingdom, back to reality, is learning to move from closed-handed anxiety to open-handed trust, to learn to trust in the creator's care, to trust the people in our lives and live in an interdependent way. And that's why out of that flow, out of that blessed are the poor, Jesus gives instructions in the Sermon on the Mount about how to live in trust. Don't be anxious about anything, you know, um, like he's saying, learn, learn to live in the, uh, in the abundance of, of the eternal reign of God. Um, here's, here's another one for you. 
Um, I think we, you know, the second beatitude says, blessed are those who mourn. And that sounds like a strange blessing. It's like Jesus saying, happy are those who are unhappy. Why did he say this? Well, he's, he's talking about real life. Many things happen in our lives and in our world that break our hearts. Life is hard. Let, there's a, there's a str- inherent struggle uh, to the human condition. And so the, Jesus is so wise there because he's trying to teach us how do we deal with the pain and the hurt and disappointment that we all experience in our lives. And I think um, uh, our first tendency, our first instinct is to want to turn away from what's hard. We, we want to numb out from it. Um, we want to deny that it's real, especially if we're responsible for someone else's pain. We want to say, no, that's your pain. It's not my fault. Uh, when we look at things happening in our world right now, or like things like the history of racism in our country, it's real easy to say, well, I didn't do that. I didn't enslave anybody. Like that's our impulse is to push, push the hard things away. Mm-hmm and be defensive and numb out about it. And so with great wisdom, Jesus says, actually the path to life, the path forward is to sit with pain, to grieve, to mourn what's broken, to to admit where you're responsible, to be able to share your your hurt and, and feel the feels about the sadness and disappointment you feel. And not, not that I want to go out of my way to critique um, our faith traditions, but mo- many people would say that Western Christianity is oriented around victory and triumph. So if you're going through a hard time, if you've experienced, if, if you didn't get into the school you wanted to, if you, if, if you had a miscarriage, if, if a baby died, if there was an accident and somebody you love passed, um, we don't have adequate tools for walking with one another in that if our Christianity is only about everything being awesome all the time. So the second beatitude is an invitation to sit together with what's hard, to really grieve and to mourn with one another and wait for a comfort that God promises that can come to us right in the middle of the unexplainable things in our lives that don't make any sense and that overwhelm us. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. There's too much for too many people in the Western Christian faith. They're in the midst of silos or isolation Mm -hmm. uh, and they don't have the opportunity to walk alongside people and hurt with them. And as a, as a male, you know, I feel like that's very common for men to just like avoid the emotions that we deal with or the struggles that we deal with. And then you have Jesus saying, no, like deal with those things. Yeah. And, and, and that's exactly kind of what you're talking about. Um, how challenging have you found this to like practice in your own life? Um, it's been awesome and it's been life changing. So the book is actually based on a resource that I helped create through a project called nine beats collective uh, based out of London. And I got invited into this project and they said, Mark, you, you're really good at creating practices for groups and individuals around the teachings of Jesus. And in my previous book, I did it around the Lord's prayer. They said, could you help us do that with the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount? I said, I'd love to. So we created this, um, this journey we called the ninefold path. 
And it's for the last four or five years, I've been leading small groups and I created a curriculum around it called the Ninefold Path that's available. And so basically this book is the story of, um, uh, well, I just have a goal. Whenever I write a book, it's after I've really worked with something for a while. I don't, I don't, I don't write things hoping to do them someday. I write things after I've walked, worked with them for a while. Mm. So it's been really powerful. I've been in groups, you know, for five years now where we take time to sit with each other and mourn. And we um, we've actually encouraged each other to write out our own Psalms of lament or complaint, you know, about a third of the Psalms are Psalms that are like, God, where are you? Have you fallen asleep? There's yeah. even a Psalm that says, God, look away from me for five minutes so I can have some peace before I die. <laughs> like to really feel the feels and, and um, stay engaged in the pain that we experience in our lives. So it's been really, um, that's probably been one of the big surprises for people who have been in these ninefold path groups is they're like, this mourning or lamenting is something that has not been part of my Christian experience, but I've needed to do it. And sort of like we already noted, I, I can't tell you how many people I know who were part of church and Christian communities and felt like they had to leave their faith because there was no space to mourn the hard things. And so, um, so I'm excited that we're able to, we're, we're naming this and actually saying this is part of the journey of discipleship is to face those things. That's cool. So for the person listening, you know, that maybe they hear this and they're like, well, this is, this is different. You know, this is new. Um, how do you believe it can impact an individual like in their own life? And, and one of the things that um, last time we spoke that has stuck with me, um, you mentioned this idea and you mentioned it earlier about reality mm-hmm. and that spiritual formation is like always coming back to the reality of ourself. Um, but, and I felt like for, for myself, you know, as I've been reading through this book and I read Practicing the Way of Jesus, you know, a lot of the teachings of Jesus are, are filled with so much wisdom because it's it's not just dealing with like these the lofty beliefs or theology, but it's dealing with the heart of the things that I struggle with, whether it be greed or lust or, or yeah. whatever it may be. Um, and so for the person listening, how do you how do you see that this can really impact uh, an individual? Yeah, I like to think of I know I know it looks like a book, right? It's it's got pages and stuff, but it's really a uh, I, I really want to walk with the reader and have a conversation. So you 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 probably noticed this, Blake. I'm 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 I, I I ask you like you're reading, and I go, where in your life do you feel like you don't have enough and you're not enough? And I really do want the person reading to stop thinking about what I'm going to say next and sit with that for themselves, journal about it a bit. And then in each chapter, there are three to four suggested practices for how you can return to God's reality. And um, some of them are like maybe something to journal about. And then others would be more like a daily practice. Um, So I really encourage people to go through this book um, as a group. And um, to pause to try on some of the uh, exercises, and then and then I'm I'm also encouraging people to pick up the the ninefold path, which it uh, which is the the guide that can help you work through 
the these the nine beatitudes in a small group setting i'm i'm really convinced that um we grow best when we're in relationship with other people in honest and authentic ways but not just stop with the honesty but also say what's the step we're going to take this week to live more fully into this so when i'm in these ninefold path groups if we're looking at any one of the beatitudes but we'll go okay what are we going to do this week right you know and there's there's a daily habit or practice and then um, I, I'm convinced practice, a vision for God's kingdom, a desire to live in it, and then a means, a step that you take to experiment with it. And then, then we get back together the next week and say, what was that like? Um, what, what did you notice different going on in your heart or in your interactions with, uh, with others? How did, how did that, did it, did it help you live more fully in the reality of God's kingdom? Yeah. And that makes sense with what Jesus says. He says, repent and to repent is to turn away. And so yeah. it's this idea of like, we have to be turning away from something. Uh, and if we just hear this and we wrestle with it and we don't do something, we're not really taking in the full reality of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God here and now. Yeah. Uh, and so I just, I think that like, it definitely brings like handlebars to what it means to follow Jesus, to hear his words. I really like, um, you know, what you mentioned about it's a curriculum for Christ-likeness. Um, was it Dallas Willard that you said mm -hmm. that kind of influenced some of those thoughts? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And so um, I, I, it's, it's interesting because I was grounded during COVID and usually I travel and teach quite a bit, but being home gave us a chance to be in, groups working with the ninefold path. So I've spent the last, what is it? 16 months, 17 months now. Wow. Um, every five or six weeks, we start a new group with about 15 to 30 people and go on this deep journey together. And um, I'm so encouraged with the ways we've seen working with these practices that I talk about in the book, transforming people's lives. And people have been, even people have been Christians a long time would say, I've grown more in the last five weeks than I had in the last five years. Like this method of being with a group of people, being honest, and then taking on some practices re in a supportive environment really helped me a lot, really, really connected the dots for me with how I thought I should or could live and, and, and my actual life. You know, people experiencing healing and liberation and feeling less alone. So as you can see, I, I really think um, as much as we can listen to great podcasts and read good books, um, I, I tell people, I don't think I've said, I don't think I've said that much new in here. I think doing things to respond to the kingdom invitation is what really brings the transformation. So I hope I hope people pick up the book and feel inspired to actually take on the practices that that's great. I yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. No, so I was going to ask, what do you ultimately hope for for readers when they read this is to take on this invitation? Yeah. Um, because it is if you believe in the words of Jesus and you believe that he says this is good news, then it'll bring, I think, goodness to your life by obeying that and living that out. And I think it's really helpful for people that maybe are 
are dealing with any kind of deconstruct deconstruction and they're looking like yeah. their faith of, well, how do I reconstruct? Because a lot of people want to hold on to that faith and following of Jesus, mm-hmm. just maybe not in the systems in which it has been presented to them. And I think that this book, you know, if you're a listener and you are someone that's looking at like how asking yourself the question, how do I reconstruct my faith? I think this is a great place to start. Um, one of the cool things in the book, I love in the back how you include the different Enneagram. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I'm a six. So I, I was looking at it. And I was like, oh, man, he's got me. Oh, so, I, so <laughs> it's, uh, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. So, well, yeah. And so for, for the Enneagram geeks out there, um, I think there's there's nine Beatitudes, nine ah, personality types. I just put that together. Yeah. And um, I think like as I've taken people through the nine Beatitudes, what we started to realize is um, s- each of us, there's some ways that our God-given personality makes it easy to live in God's kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's parts of living in reality that we find more challenging or difficult. And I think that they're related to a pers- personality type. So, um, you know, Blake, somebody, somebody with your personality type, fear is something that's hard, is a challenge to, to move from, the, from fear to love and trust and hope. So there's a sp- special invitation for you in the Gospels to pick up, deny yourself, pick up your cross and to follow, to not be afraid anymore, right? So we have some fun with that to go, um, you know, there are nine, nine invitations back to reality in the Beatitudes. There's probably one or two or three that are particular invitations for each of us based on the particular challenges of personality. So I, since you already mi- admitted some of yours, I'll just say I, um, I'm in Enneagram four. It's not hard for me to mourn. Um, like I'm, I have really good access to the dark side, to the sad feelings. What's hard for me is I'm easily discouraged by the resistance and struggles that I face in life. Mm. So. I tend to like whine about it and it stops me right in my tracks. So the beatitude invitation that connects most with me is where Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness or justice. Sometimes just life beats you up and doing the right thing doesn't get you rewarded. It actually gets you punished. Mm -hmm. So I'm hearing God's invitation in that beatitude to say, Mark, don't let the suffering or the struggle paralyze you. Um, Keep going. You're part of a larger cosmic struggle between good and evil. And um, I'm going to give you the strength to get through it. No suffering is final. So keep keep moving. Buck up, son. <laughs> it's sort of what I hear, you know, the invitation for me doing. So we call that the way of surrender, where instead of resisting or fighting, we, we, sur- we sub- surrender to suffering and realize that we're part of we're, we're, it's it's part of part of our journey of learning to live life with God. That's awesome. Well, I'm super excited to get to finish. I'm going to finish the book, um, and I'm, I think I'm resistant because it deals with some of the things <laughs> that we we don't want to deal with sometimes. Um, yeah. But this is a book that I feel like people can cont- you can read through it, continue to go back to, mm-hmm. um, and I would encourage you to do this with a group of people. 
And I would encourage you to be, you know, honest and just like Mark has mentioned, look for those next steps. Um, because when we start to live this out, that is when I believe there's true heart change and there's true yeah. like following of Jesus. And we get to live in that good news. And I'll just add to a lot of the people who've, uh, well, we've, we've, we've done this process of the, that I talked about in the book of the nine pole path with people who don't even identify as uh, believers Yeah. Um, because Jesus is in, because it asks human questions and, and everybody can relate to these themes. Right. So I'll just, if I could, could go through them real quick, like we, we, we can either live in anxiety and fear or trust. We can either run from pain and try and avoid it or face pain. We can either think of ourselves as greater than or less than others and live in jealousy and competition or embrace our inherent dignity and worth made in God's image. We can either give up and think that life is hopeless and the world can't get better, or we can embrace our power to do good, that we're the light of the world. We can live in resentment and bitterness and contempt, or we can learn to navigate life through the, the eyes of compassion and mercy. We can, um, we can run and hide and, not, and be inauthentic and divided, or we can learn to be wholehearted, tell the truth. Um, we can think in terms of us and them uh, and, and live out of that mentality, or we can realize that we're part of, uh, we can be peacemakers and be part of a, the bigger picture of, of God's bigger family. Um, anyway, I you know, no, that's we, great. That's awesome. And, and so everybody can relate to these things. You know, I know like when, when I've led groups or invited others to, um, any, every person has a story about those themes in their lives. And so it gives us an opportunity to say, well, what did Jesus have to say about these struggles that we have? Could we find it? Is there a better way? You know, could Blake find a way to move from fear to trust? Yeah. Uh, or, uh, you know, that's, that's the, how to, that's the, that's the invitation of the gospel, you know? That's awesome. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'm excited for people to get their hands on this book. July 13th, um, The Ninefold Path of Jesus, Hidden Wisdom of the Beatitudes. Um, if you want to check out more of Mark's resources, um, you can check, just Google Mark Scandrett, Google the title of this book. Mm -hmm. um, he has a lot of stuff out there. And I encourage you, if you read this, go read Practicing the Way of Jesus um, and the other books that he has. But um, yeah, and check out my website, markscandrett.com. It's got lots of good links in there. And if, if you're interested in going through this uh, book as a group, there's a place to get the study guide called ninefoldpath.org. It's a good place to get that. Sweet. Awesome. That Mark, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, great to be with you, Blake. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Rethinking Christianity. I hope today's conversation with Mark is helpful for you and maybe stirred up some new thoughts about what it means to follow Jesus and what the ninefold path of Jesus looks like as Mark presents it in this interview and in his book. That book comes out July 13th, and I would encourage you to check that out uh, and look into it and just look at some of Mark's resources through his website that he mentioned. So until next time, I am Blake, and thanks again for tuning in to Rethinking Christianity.